Thanks for tuning in to the Met Church Podcast. Here at the Met, we are all about connecting people to God and one another. If you have any questions or want more information about what's going on here at the church, then head to our website at metchurch.com. We would love to stay connected with you throughout the week through social media, so be sure to connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Now, enjoy the message. You know, our New Year's series is all about helping us get a better perspective on the things that we go through in life. As we say each weekend, we're not in control of so many of the events that we experience in life. So many things come at us without our, uh, without our um, fault, no fault of our own. Uh, it just happens, you know, good things happen to, uh, you know, bad people, bad things happen to good people. It just, you know, the Bible says it rains on the just and the unjust. And so many times we try to connect the dots concerning our circumstance. And I don't really think it's the circumstance so much that needs to change as much as it's us. I think God uses circumstances to change us, but sometimes the focus of our prayer is more on our circumstance than, than us. Sometimes we should just maybe invert the, the prayer and say, God, instead of changing my circumstance, change me. Try to teach me what you're trying to teach me, or help me to learn, rather, what you're trying to teach me through this experience. Does that make sense? So I'm just suggesting that one of the most powerful things that can happen in your life and mine is when we can get a new perspective on the things that we go through. Uh, to get a good vision, a clear view of the experiences that happen in life. Because as the text says in John 10, 10, on one side, Jesus says, you have uh, the angel on your shoulder, right? The Lord comes uh, to give you life and to give it to you abundantly. And on the other side, you have the devil on the other shoulder, but the enemy is there to kill, steal, and destroy. And really the outcome of that particular thing happens to do with how we view it and how we respond to it. I, I can either be better by the experiences that I've gone through in life, or as we know, we can be better by those same experiences. So hopefully we can walk through this together and get better tools and get uh, a better understanding of how you get a new perspective on the things that you go through. Uh, it has been said, and I repeat it each weekend, that uh, it's, 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 not that, um, uh, it's not that you don't see things as they are, it's, it's that you, you see things as you are, right? And if you're at a bad place and you're going through a bad experience, it clouds how you see those things, and it jades how you experience those things. So hopefully we can get a, a, a new perspective, right? One of the things that we challenge you to do each weekend is try to control the things of your life that you can control. Now I said going in so much we can't control, right? But there are some things that you and I are absolutely in control of. There are some things I can control. There are some things that happen in my life, you, in your life that you can control. And let's review. We said, first of all, we can control the thoughts that we think. Uh, we really can. We, we can control that. The Bible says, don't be overcome with evil, overcome evil with good. The Bible says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Philippians 4, he says, if there's virtue, praise, anything good, think on those things. So the idea is we really can control what we think about. We, we have to be very diligent and disciplined, but you can do it. Uh, you have to be uh, careful to think about what you think about, but you're in control as I am as well in my, uh, of our thoughts. And then we said the next weekend out, uh, we're in control of the words that we speak. 
Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so sometimes we need to pray for discernment <laughs> to know when to speak up and when to shut up. <laughs> sometimes we just need to say, should I say something? I'm thinking about it. Should I say it? And sometimes, well, maybe it's the right thing. It's not the right time. And so we said, be careful with the words we speak. So you have the thoughts, I think. We have the words we speak. And then we said the third week out, we have the choices that we make. If you want a better life, start by making better choices. And just say, hey, I'm just gonna start choosing better, I wanna start doing better in the area of my choices. It's something we're absolutely in control over. And then we said, we're in control of our attitude, our attitude. The Bible says we are to glorify God in our bodies and in our spirit, which denotes attitude, both belong to God. So I'm in control of my attitude. Two people can go through the same experience and come through it completely differently. And what determines that oftentimes is the attitude that they have. And so I would challenge you to think about the attitude, to, to consider your attitude. That's something you're in control over. And then last weekend, we said we're in control over our friends. And it's so important that we give great thought to the people that we allow access to our heart and get close to us in our life. Well, they're essential, we need them. The Bible says God didn't create us to live life or do life alone. Uh, yet the person you allow to get next to your heart, you need to be very discerning and you need to be very careful because they're the persons that can hurt you the deepest because they have the closest access to you. And then I said, if you are the smartest friend in your circle of friends, you need some smarter friends because <laughs> your friends should bring you up. Uh, I have a lot of friends who are smarter than I in a lot of areas of life, and that's a good thing. That's a good thing. And so you need people who challenge you to be better in certain areas of your life. So watch the friends. You're in control of that. Now this weekend, I want to move the ball forward a little more and talk about another thing you and I are in control over, but we may not give a lot of thought to, and that is, listen, the legacy that we will leave. We are in absolute control of the legacy that we will leave. Now, everyone in this room, whether you've thought about it or not, you're gonna leave some kind of legacy. Now, I hope we all live very long, long, happy lives here on the earth, but I have news for you. If Jesus tarries his coming, we're probably not gonna get out of this thing alive. So at some point in our life, we need to consider the legacy, the reputation. Uh, what are we leaving our children? And what are we leaving our family? What will our friends say about us when we're gone? What about the people who did business with us? What kind of legacy are we leaving? And ladies and gentlemen, again I'll say, we are in control of our legacy. In reality, we are writing our funerals while we live. Right now, we're writing our funerals. Now in my career in ministry, I have done hundreds and hundreds of funerals. And I've told you a million times, I don't exaggerate, so you can trust me. I have done hundreds of these things. And I can tell you that all of them are sad. Every funeral that I've ever done is difficult. They all have unique challenges in that you want to honor the memory of that loved one and you want to say something that will help the family and you want to honor the friends who are there. You've got all of those elements that you hope you can achieve in that memorial service. But let me tell you, the most difficult funeral that I've ever done is the funeral where I am given so little material to work with. I mean, when a family hands me a post-it note, right? They lived, they died, they fried. No, they didn't do that. But I mean, it's just one of those things where there's just, there's not much there to work with. I, I mean, it, it's like they're saying, they're, they're circling up saying, we're trying our best to come up with something that this person did, but we, here, hope you, can, hope you can work with this. 
Now I'll tell you, I've done enough of them and if you call on me to help someone like that in your circle of influence, I'll do the best I can to spend them the best I can. And I've spun a few. I, I have absolutely done my best job. In fact, I did one, one time where this has really happened. Not that I would tell you something that didn't happen, but you understand where I'm coming from. This is so bizarre. I did this, I was given a post-it note, try to do what you can with this guy. And so I did the best I could with him. When it's over, I'm standing, you know, with head of the casket you normally do, people file by. Had this lady who's known me since I was a kid. She comes by, grabs my arm, pulls me down real close to her and whispers in my ear. She said, after hearing what you said about him, I had to come to be sure I was at the right funeral. <laughs> now I'll do what I can to make you sound as good as I can. But on behalf of everyone in my profession that may be called upon to serve you one day, help a brother out. Give us some material for the love of God to work with. I'm just suggesting you we're writing those funerals while we live. We're in charge of our legacy. One of my favorite stories along this line is those two brothers that grew up in that small town. They were mean and nasty. They had a notorious reputation. Everyone knew about them. One night, one of the brothers was killed in a bar fight. So his brother goes to the local pastor and says, Pastor, I want you to preach my brother's funeral. Well, the pastor thought, well, I'll, I'll do that. I mean, everybody in town will be here. It'll be a great chance to present the gospel, and I'll do that. And he said, but, but I'm not done yet. He said, Pastor, at some point in your funeral service about my brother, I want you to say, my brother was a saint. The pastor's going, good night, man. I know the life this man lived. Everybody in town knows the life he did. My integrity's on the line. How, how in the world? So he's thinking this, right? And all of a sudden, the guy says, and if you can do this, there's $1,000 in it for you. The pastor says, well, I think I feel the Lord leading me maybe to... Work that in somehow. I'm feeling some leadership of the Holy Spirit right now. I think I can do that. I can make it work. So man, sure enough, the time came, the day came for the funeral. Little old shotgun church was packed with people standing around the walls, opened the windows, people looking in. Everything's, I mean, everybody was there. Pastor gets up and says, I want you to know, ladies and gentlemen, of all the sorriest human beings I ever met, none were worse than this guy. He was terrible, he was notorious. In fact, probably most of you are here just to make sure he's actually dead. I get all that, he was a scoundrel. He cheated you, he cheated me out of money, but I just wanna say this to everybody. Uh, compared to his brother down here, he was, he was a saint. <laughs> <laughs> That's a legacy. <laughs> You're gonna leave a legacy. I'm gonna leave a legacy. But you know what, when you study the Bible, here's what you find. There are over a hundred detailed biographies in the Bible, over a hundred, where the Bible drops in and tells us specifically some incredible things that happen in the lives of people. And what's amazing about the Bible, it's a very honest book. It shows the good, the bad. It shows the mistakes that a person makes, the successes that they have. The Bible is filled with good examples of good examples. It's full of good examples of bad examples. It's all in there. There are a hundred detailed biographies in the Bible, but did you, are you aware of this? That two thirds of those biographies don't end well. They don't end well. It's people who journeyed and partnered with God and had great results and had good success and they had such a wonderful beginning, but they finished poorly. And can I tell you that our legacy is tied not necessarily to where we started in as much as it is tied to where we end. What I know about life and what you know as well about life is we can't do anything about our past. Uh, if you've had a, a good past, you can be happy about it and proud of it. If you've had a sad past or a difficult past, you can be sorry for it and you can grieve over it, but there's nothing you can do, nothing that I can do this morning as we're in this room 
There's nothing we can do to change the past. It is what it is. And sometimes before you can go forward and have a great life, you have to get past your past, the good and the bad, because you can't change it. Don't beat yourself up over it. Forgive yourself of it. Move on from it. Uh, the past is kind of like the rearview mirror. It's good to glance there every now and then so you can remember and reminisce. But if you get fixated on the rearview mirror, you're going to run into something that's coming at you. You'll wreck your life fixated on your past. There's nothing we can do about our past. We can't do anything about where we started, but we can do everything about where we end up. And what I found and what we'll see in this narrative this morning is that God, listen, God uses everything about our past to prepare us for our future. I don't think there's accidents. I think God allows things to happen. He causes things to happen. Everything happens for a purpose, for a reason. The mistakes we made, those things can be used to give us wisdom, to help us learn. Uh, the successes we have in life, they can enable us to help someone else uh, enjoy that same level of success. So I think everything that happens in life are things that God can use. God uses everything that happens in life. And so those things work together, they come together in a powerful way, and they prepare us and enable us to create a, an incredible legacy if we choose it. One of the good examples of a lasting legacy is the Apostle Paul. Brilliant man, highly educated. He was the star student of Gamaliel, who was the chief rabbi in Jerusalem, and Paul was his outstanding student. Highly educated, military man. He was political, very successful. He had this one thing, and that is he couldn't tolerate uh, a, a, a theological dissent. He, he, he believed everybody ought to see it the way he sees it and think the way he thinks, and they ought to have complete agreement. And if they didn't, well, he had a simple way of, of fixing that. He uh, manipulated Caesar to get permission to put Christians to death. <laughs> and when the reason he got permission to do it is he accused Christians of being treasonous against Caesar. Under the rule of Caesar, only you know, every citizen had to swear allegiance to Caesar and they could not swear allegiance to anyone higher than Caesar. And so once a person professed faith in Christ and started following after him, then that Christian would say, there's no one more important or significant in my life than my relationship to my heavenly father. Jesus is Lord, he's the leader of my life. And so they used that technicality as a means of torturing and putting to death Christians by saying, based on their allegiance to God over their allegiance to Caesar, they're guilty of treason. So he carved out this little radical niche to go after these Christians. And he was very good at what he did. He was rabid in his religion. He was, uh, he was a hate-filled person. And all of a sudden in Acts chapter nine, he has this encounter with God, this supernatural encounter with God that changed his life. And he responds in this encounter with God and what you see is this 180 and a 180 indicates repentance, right? The word repentance in the Greek is metanoia. It means to turn or to change. It means I was going one direction, now I'm going the other. And you can put a, a pin in Paul's life right there, a pin, and say that was the point in which his life turned. He changed. He stopped going one direction and he started going another direction. And so we mark that as the conversion of Saul of Tarsus on the road to Damascus. And from that point forward, God was using everything in his past, all of the good and the bad, to prepare him for where he was going, for his destiny. 
And Paul would end up leaving one of the most powerful legacies in all of the Bible, and he would give us a lot of detail about the factors that created the legacy, and that's what I wanna leave with you before we go. In the closing moments of his life, the apostle Paul pens this powerful word. In fact, if you have a Bible, look in 2 Timothy chapter four. Many of you may be familiar with this. In verse six, he said, for I am being poured out as a drink offering. Now, that was an expression that if you lived in that day, you would understand uh, if you were in the Roman culture or the Jewish culture, you understood what it meant to, be, uh, to, to have a drink offering. Uh, the Romans would, after a meal, they would pour out a glass of wine, ceremoniously empty a glass of wine as being an offering to their gods. In the Jewish culture, it dated back to Genesis 35, where after the altar uh, offering was offered up, the burnt sacrifice, they would then take and pour out uh, wine on the altar, indicating that all this sweet-smelling sacrifice and this savory, uh, uh, significant offering was being offered up to God. And the imagery of it is I'm being poured out, meaning that the meal is over, the sun is setting, my life is about done, so with all that I am, I am pouring all of that which is left out to my heavenly Father. Uh, a sports expression would be I'm leaving it all on the field. There's nothing left, I'm, I'm giving God every, my last full measure. This is everything I have left, I'm offering this. And Paul said, I know my life is now ending and so with all that is left in me, I offer that which is left to my God. And the time of my departure is at hand. That was a Greek expression, it had the idea of the military concept of striking the tent, we're breaking camp. He said, when I'm departing, I'm, I'm, I'm folding my tent. I'm breaking camp. I am moving forward into a new place. I'm leaving where I've been, and I'm going somewhere else. So all this imagery is at work when, in these words of Paul. He said, I'm being poured out as a drink offering. The time of my departure is at hand. And here are three powerful things he says that we're all familiar with. I fought the good fight. I finished my course. I've kept the faith. And then he said, finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, not to me only, but to all who have loved his appearing. When you look over in Acts chapter 20, and we won't take the time this morning, it's a very long narrative, but when you pick up in verse 17 and read down to verse 35, Paul is coloring a little bit of his life to the leaders in the church at Ephesus. He is showing them the secret of his effectiveness and he is, he is recounting with them the legacy items that were in were his life. And in that narrative in uh, Acts chapter 20, Paul points out four significant things that made his legacy so powerful and I think they'll make ours powerful as well. Number one, he talks about the people that he embraced. He talks about the relationships that he had in his life. Paul learned the secret of, of success in life is serving others. Every business person in the room will say that's the secret of an effective business is how you serve others, your customers, how you take care of people. It is a principle of scripture. In fact, one of the things social scientists say that hurts uh, kind of the spirit of the world that we're living in today is self-centeredness and narcissism when it all becomes about us. One of the healthiest things you can do for you is to get outside of yourself and to help someone else. And Paul learned the secret of this. He realized that a great legacy uh, uh, lesson, a great thing to have as a part of his legacy would be the things that he did for other people. 
When that lawyer was attempting to trip Jesus up in Matthew 22, he said, what is the greatest command? If you were to summarize the top 10 that Moses got, what's the greatest command? And Jesus said, you could summarize all the commandments up in these two. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. What is he saying? Relationships. When I love God with all my heart, soul, and mind, that means I will not offend any commandment regarding my God. When I love you as I ought to love you, that means I won't break any of the commands regarding you. So if we love God and we loved each other, we'd never violate the commands. That's the point Jesus is making. He's simply saying the secret of success in life is how we treat each other. It's in the relationships that we form with one another. And the apostle Paul, when you read the narrative there in Acts chapter 20, he talks about how he has given his life to try to help people and serve people. And the most significant thing he talks about is trying to get people to have a relationship with God that is eternal. So one of the great legacy items of the apostle Paul's life is seen in the people that he embraced, the people that he served. I can tell you in all the memorial services I've done that there is a connection that I can feel in the audience immediately when a family member steps up and they talk about the loved one that has left. Uh, The Proverbs 31 principle, where the Bible speaks to that incredible woman who was honored by her husband and she was a business person and honored by those she did business with. And then the Bible says her children stand up and call her blessed. I mean, one of the most powerful moments in a memorial service is one of the kids, if one of the family members, if they're emotionally able, can stand before that audience and say, let me tell you what they meant to my life. And can I also say equally as powerful as when you can get a friend someone with whom there has been a long time relationship through the good and the bad and through all the vicissitudes of life and they'll stand up and say, let me tell you something, this person was my friend. There is a connection that happens. It is a legacy that is left. Never minimize the significance of the people that you impact and the people that you influence in your life. Someone will be caught up in your influence. Someone is caught up in your influence. The word influence is an interesting word. We get it from two words, inflow. It's the idea of two little tributaries running together to create a little river. And in that, uh, in that uh, action, there is a current that's created. And it's inflow, it's influence. Someone is caught in the current of your life. Might be your child, might be a friend, maybe somebody you work with. It may be somebody you don't even realize. And can I tell you something? They will take note of not just how you handle the good things, they'll take note of how you handle the bad. And probably your most powerful influence in someone's life is how you navigate through the hardest times in your life. So I'm just saying don't discount the significance of your influence. Someone is caught in the current of your life. This was part of Paul's legacy, this is part of ours. It's to stop long enough to realize, ladies and gentlemen, uh, it is about the people that we know and the people that we serve. Number two, it's not only about the people, but it's also about the purpose. Paul had a purpose that he employed. It drove his life. In fact, you, you see something of the coming to terms of his purpose in his conversion there in Acts 9. There's two questions that he asks, and these are significant to discovering purpose. The first question he asks is, who are you, Lord? Who are you? And that's something that everyone in the room and everyone watching has to come to terms with. Who who is the Lord to you? 
Is he your savior? Is, is he someone you're following? Is he someone you've given your heart and your life to? Who are you, Lord? And on that road to Damascus, Paul resolved that for himself and he determined he's gonna be my Lord. Changed his life. Second question he asked is, what do you want me to do? <laughs> what do you want me to do? I mean, he realized, man, my life has changed. There's been a 180 and now I, I need to know what does that look like for me? It's called purpose. And I can tell you, God has a purpose. He has a plan for every life in this room. We use that, that verse in Ecclesiastes 3 often. It says uh, that in life there's seasons. And every season there's a time. And the time involves the purpose. Every purpose under heaven. And what we talked about when we studied that narrative a few months back is the idea that our time is connected to our purpose. As long as you have purpose, God will give you time. So when you discover your purpose and you say, this is what God has created me for. This is what I'm passionate about. This is what I'm designed to do. This is what other people have affirmed in me. This is something as I do it, God is reflected in it. All of those are little points that point to purpose. And when you discover purpose, in it comes great fulfillment. And it becomes an incredible part of your legacy. You're not an accident, I've told you this before, you're an incident. God designed you with a purpose in mind. Paul found his purpose. So you've got the people, you've got a purpose. Here's the third one. How about the principle he lived for? He lived for a principle. You know what the principle is? It's down in Acts 20, verse 35, and here's what he said. He said the principle is what Jesus illustrated in his life and demonstrated in his life, and here it is. It is more blessed to give than to receive. That's the principle. And he's talking more about resources it's far more than that. In fact, don't stop there. Be generous in your resources, but he's not just stop. He's saying being a generous person. <laughs> be loving, be quick to forgive. Be someone that's there for someone else. Uh, you, you, you try to be the friend you need, right? So in other words, you are saying, look, I wanna be known as a, a generous person. I, I don't wanna be known as a consumer, just a taker. Now you have to take sometimes so that you have the power to give, right? If you don't receive, you have nothing to give. But if all you do is receive, then you just become a consumer. And then it isn't long until it's your philosophy of life and the principle you live by is get all you can, can all you get, set on the lid and spoil the rest. <laughs> now there are people that live by that. That's a terrible principle to live by. Paul lived by a different principle. He lived by this principle that said, what can I invest in your life that will make you better? And if you really want to find value, then evaluate your value based upon what do you bring into the relationship? What do you bring into the friendship? Look, if you are a person that lives by this principle, everyone who knows you will be better because of you. In some way, they'll benefit because of your relationship and because of your friendship. You'll bring a value to their life that they didn't have until they knew you. And let me tell you something, when you are a person that lives by that principle, it leaves a powerful legacy. People look forward to seeing you. <laughs> they look forward to having conversations with you because they know every time they walk away from you, they feel affirmed and they feel blessed and they feel better because they've encountered you. What is it? It is a principle that says it's not just about me, it's about what I can do to help and impact someone else's life. I told you before, that's good theology, but it's good psychology. The best thing you can do on the worst day you're having is find someone you can do something for. 
my kids were little and we'd be going through a difficult time and I might be stressed about something, oftentimes I would leave and I would go down to the children's hospital and I'd visit some of the families down there in the waiting room and I'd just say, hey, I'm a pastor and I just wanted to pop in and see if I could pray with you all about anything. I do that sometimes on my hardest days. You know why? I got in my car and said, man, I got a lot to be thankful for. God bless these sweet families. It's good psychology, it's good theology, it's a great principle to live by and say it's not just about me. It's about what I can do for someone else, how I can be giving to them so that I can enrich their life. Paul lived by that principle. He blessed everyone. Even when he was chained to these jokers about to go to uh, lose his head in Philippians, right? And he writes the little book of Philippians and said, I want you to be happy. I don't want you worrying about me, I want you to have joy. I don't want you to be stressed about what's gonna happen to me. I want you to know, I have victory. I want you to have victory, right? He was living his life by that principle. Fourth and finally, his persistence. His persistence. Can I tell you, that's a legacy quality. Being a person that doesn't give in, doesn't give up, doesn't give out. You just say, by the grace of God, Job went through some of the most horrific things in his life and he gritted his teeth and he said, even if God slays me, (laughs) yet will I trust him. You're not gonna win. (laughs) I am not gonna give up. This thing is not, I'm just not gonna do it. And, And you see it in the verse I read when he said in 2 Timothy 4, he said, I fought a good fight. And I know you get tired of fighting. Man, have you ever noticed everything you try to do that's positive in your life involves a fight? You gotta fight for a good relationship. And you have to fight for good kids. You gotta fight for a good career. And you just, it's, you, you sometimes, I get it. Sometimes it's, it's a struggle. I, I mean, uh, Paul Harvey used to say, you know you're on the road to success if it seems uphill all the way. Paul said, there's a great and effectual door open unto me. But he said, there are many adversaries. He said, I got this amazing opportunity to have a wonderful relationship, an incredible family, a wonderful career, but there are many adversaries. Anything that moves has friction, right? And I'll just tell you, the power of hell will come against anyone who is determined to do something positive with their life. Paul said, there's a great and effectual door. There's many adversaries. Think about it this way. The doors of opportunity swing on the hinges of opposition. It's gonna be there. It's a fight. If you're gonna have a good family, it's a fight. If you're gonna have a good career, it's a fight. Don't give up on the fight. Fight the good fight. Fight the right fight. (laughs) That's the right fight to fight. I fought the good fight. He said, I kept the faith. What does that mean? That means his body of belief. That means his relationship with God. That means in in the darkest hours of his life, he never turned his back on his Lord. He realized his faith was fundamental and foundational to his life, and so he stood on his faith fought the fight, kept the faith, finished my course. Many translations have it, I finished the race, and we get that idea. We say something like that sometimes when a loved one passes, their race is run, we get that term. But that's not exactly what Paul had in mind. When you study this word uh, race, it also means uh, course, a part of the race. Now, I didn't do track and field. I know that shocks many of you looking at me. I didn't do that. I came to terms years ago that I was not built for speed, I'm built for comfort, and I'm okay with that. But my friends who did track and field and they ran the relays, when they would finish their part of the race, 
they would hand the baton off to the runner coming behind them. That's the imagery Paul's talking about when he said, I finished my course. He meant my race, my part is over, but the race is still going. The run is still happening. So he hands the baton off to young Timothy. You hand the baton off to your kids. You hand the baton off to your family. You hand the baton off to your to your friends. You hand the baton off to your business associates. You hand the baton off to people who are caught in the influence of your life. It's called your legacy. And can I, can I say to your hearts as I close this morning, don't minimize the significance of your legacy. What a great difference your single, solitary life could make in the life of someone else. Let me give you this. Mr. Kimball lived in Chicago. He was a Sunday school teacher in his church just a simple man. He had a few friends, he loved his family, but he had a real passion and that was for people who didn't know Jesus that they might know them. He wasn't obnoxious about his faith, but he didn't miss an opportunity if it had presented itself for him to share his faith. One occasion he was buying shoes and this young shoe clerk, they, they struck up a conversation. And in the course of the conversation, Mr. Kimball had the opportunity to ask this young man if he had ever trusted Christ. The young man was open and receptive to it and come to find out he had never received Christ and he prayed in that moment to know Jesus. Changed this young man's life. He got into church before long, he felt the calling of God on his life to be a, a preacher and he was very gifted. Many of you have heard of him, his name was Dwight L. Moody. Chicago today, there's a, there's a publishing company called Moody Press and there's a church there in Chicago called Moody uh, church. It's, it's from this man. Moody became a great evangelist. He was given an opportunity to go preach for a friend in England. And while he was there, a pastor by the name of F.B. Meyer heard him. And he was so caught up in Moody's passion for unchurched people, for people who didn't know Jesus, for people who didn't really go to church. He was so caught up in that, that he decided for the rest of his life, he would do all that he could to reach people who didn't know Jesus. So Pastor Meyer comes to America. He was given an opportunity to preach on a college campus and he shared with those college kids the significance of knowing Jesus. And out in the audience hearing Pastor Meyer speak was a young college student by the name of J. Wilbur Chapman. And J. Wilbur Chapman humbled his heart and gave his heart to Jesus in that meeting. Chapman became active in the YMCA and he had an opportunity sponsored by the YMCA to have a, a crusade, an outreach to reach primarily younger people. And he brought in the talents of a retired Major League Baseball player named Billy Sunday, who had a powerful dynamic presentation of the gospel. And Sunday came in and he preached an incredible message and there were hundreds of people who gave their hearts to Jesus. There were several businessmen out in the audience hearing Sunday speak, and they wanted to bring that meeting to their hometown in North Carolina. And when they approached Billy Sunday, his schedule wouldn't allow it, but they still felt so strongly about it that they instead got the talents of an evangelist named Mordecai Ham. And Mordecai Ham came to Charlotte, North Carolina, and preached a great crusade. And at the end of one of his messages, when he gave an invitation for people to receive Jesus, there was a tall, lanky kid at the back about 18, 19 years old, who walked forward and gave his heart to Jesus. And that young man's name was Billy Graham. And millions and millions and millions of people have come to faith through Billy Graham. But can I tell you, when you think about legacy, and Billy Graham has an amazing legacy, but can I tell you, someone who's in his downline, 
<laughs> of his legacy is a man most people never heard of, a Sunday school teacher named Mr. Kimball, who was just concerned about this kid who was selling him a pair of shoes and wanted that kid to know Jesus. Never underestimate the power of your influence and the difference that it could make in your legacy. Let's pray. Father, I pray this morning that our hearts will have received something from you that will cause us to give great consideration to the legacy that we will leave. I pray for many on this February Sunday, they'll draw a line in the sand. Say, God, I can't do anything about the past, but going forward, I can do some positive things that will affect my future and my legacy. If there's one watching or one in the room who's never humbled their heart or invited you into their life, may this be the moment when they say, Lord, with all that I know about me, I now trust all that I know about you. Come into my life and forgive my sin. Father, I pray this will be a wonderful, productive week for everyone in the room. Bless every family. Bless every business represented here. For those, Lord, who need someone to pray for them before they go, I pray as soon as I dismiss, they'll find their place here at the front. Let someone encourage them and pray for them before they go. Father, we're so grateful that your word is so practical. Help us now to put it into practice, and we'll give you thanks. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. God bless you all. We'll see you soon. Thank you so much for tuning in today with us. If you have any questions or prayer requests, please contact us so that we can follow up with you this week by visiting metchurch.com. We look forward to seeing you again next week.